Well, bad morning, everyone. It catches you, right? Catches you a little bit, right? Because we say good morning. I usually say good morning, then you say good morning. Um, but the chances are with this many people in the room is that uh, sometimes you're lying when you say good morning back, aren't you? You know, it's this default. People say, hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. You know, it's the default answer. But, but sometimes it's not a good morning and sometimes we're not good. I think sometimes that we, I think about um, uh, Winnie the Pooh, right? I think there's a part of us that wants to exhibit uh, Tigger all the time. Okay? But in reality, what we're experiencing is, is Eeyore. I don't know what's so good about it. Right? I mean, like, this is the tension that we experience. This morning, we, as Mike said, we're beginning a very unique series called Weep With Me, The Lost Language of Lament. We're going to go through the Hebrew Scriptures book of Lamentations, or the Old Testament book of Lamentations. And last week when I mentioned that we're going to be doing this, I asked, hey, have any of you ever gone through a series of Lamentations? Uh, And nobody raised their hand. And, And I was thinking about that. You think about how many years of experience in different church backgrounds are represented in this room this morning, and none of you have ever gone through a series of Lamentations. That's pretty significant. It's significant. Why, why have we not gone through this book? You know why? I think it's because we don't want to. We don't want to go through this book. Life is hard enough. When we gather on Sundays, we want to come and we want to get positive, encouraging. All right? like we want to be uplifted and we want to be able to go. I want to be recharged and refreshed. But then what happens is that we leave this space. And it's, we go back into real life, if you would, and it's not always positive, encouraging, is it? So there's a reality that if we don't navigate this stuff together, we're not equipping each other for what we experience in real life. We have lost the language of lament. And we've lost it so much. So I was talking to a couple of folks, uh, a couple of our Kettlebrook family members this week, and I was talking about this series, and one person said, I have never heard the word lament before. Another person said, I have no idea what lament means. And so I'll give you the definition. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. It's a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. We don't know how to experience lament. We don't know how to express lament to, to God and to one another. And so as we climb the hill towards Resurrection Sunday, we're going to take a detour through the Valley of the Shadows. And I know this series is going to be relevant. You know how I know? Because I, I've met with many of you. And I know some of your stories. And I know that many of you have a reason for lament somewhere in your story. Something that's happened or that is happening that's really, really hard. I met this past week with an, with an older gentleman who had just um, lost his wife a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to check in on him. And uh, he said, hey, d- does every guy that you meet with cry? And I said, no, it's not like it's a goal of mine like to, to get men to cry. He said, he just wanted to know. I said, here's the thing. Once you get beneath the surface, most of us have pain somewhere. Most of us have past or present hurts. There's suffering. There's injustice. There's illness. There's loneliness. There's abandonment. There's abuse. And I could go on and on. And very often we don't share this with one another. And so um, I wanted to start off this series by giving us an example of why, one example of why we need to lament. 
About five months ago, uh, a sister in Christ here as part of our family uh, here at Kettlebrook uh, shared something with me um, that she didn't share with a lot of people just because of the nature of what had happened. And it's a story. And a couple of us have been uh, walking alongside her and her family as they've been going through this for the past uh, five months. And she's in a place now where she can share a little bit about it. It's uh, a mother's nightmare. And it takes supernatural strength and courage for her to even get up here and share this. But here's the thing. She knows that Jesus is stronger than this trauma. And so I'm not going to introduce her by name for the sake of the fact this will be recorded and put online. But um, can, you, can we give a warm family Kettlebrook welcome to our sister in Christ? Sister, can you share with us as a family uh, a little bit of some of the things that you've shared with me? Yes. So um, as many of you know, uh, I have three beautiful daughters. And um, being a mother is um, something I've been I've devoted my adult life to. Uh, when I was in college, I was pursuing a degree in engineering, and I felt a strong call by God that, that motherhood is what he had for me. And um, I earned my degree, but I knew being a mom was my career. And um, I've been blessed to have that happen and to be a stay-at-home mom to my three girls. And um, it's, it's who I am. Uh, and protecting my child is, is the number one job of being a mother, uh, is their, their protection. Um, but last October... Um, one of my daughters was um, sexually assaulted um, by a stranger uh, in a public place. Um, and that's one of the hardest things um, to say. Uh, his offense, it was quick, and it was deliberate, and it was awful. Um, what was taken from her, no time or money can return it. And um, there's no physical um, scars or injuries. Uh, no, one, no one would know. Um, but, but what he did, it, it penetrated her trust and her security and, um, and her, her future intimacy. Um, he sought to gain her trust through lies and, um, she doesn't fully understand what happened to her at her age. Um, but she did feel the pain of, of being manipulated like that. And, um, for me, I was, um, I was depressed, uh, following the time that it happened, um, never felt so physically sad. Uh, my body ached. My chest was heavy. I couldn't focus on anything. Uh, I wasn't eating, and I didn't even realize it until um, I realized I'd lost 10 pounds in five days. Um, her safety and her purity being violated, it cut deep into my self-worth, and I felt like a failure. Uh, I was trapped uh, in guilt and in depression. Um, she's very independent and so she likes to tell me she's going to do it by herself and um, those are words that strike fear in me now it's it's what I want most for her as her mom that's the goal is for her to do it by herself but there's always um, a fear of what type of person is going to be around the corner uh, when she leaves my site um, I try to explain it to her so that she's not frightened um, and she understands it's not her that I don't trust to be able to do it and because um, I know she's capable of a lot, um, but I'm reminded of what others have been capable of, too. So I worry um, how it will affect her in the future as well. Thank you for sharing. 
family, we need to lament. We need to lament. And your initial response is like, Troy, no, I don't need to lament. I'm angry when I hear a story like that. And that's okay. It's okay to be angry. What's happening is that anger is an emotion that is actually being represented because of something else that's happening at a deeper level than that. And that is grief and sorrow at a deep level that's coming out in anger. I understand that. Now, some of you are wondering, you're like, you're just going to give her a hug and let her sit down like that? Like, that's what, is this where we leave this? Yeah, that's where we're going to leave this right now. It's not the end of the story, but it's where we're going to leave it. Because we need to sit in lament. Because we're going to enter into a text in God's Word where God's people are sitting in lament. So because my guess is many of you have not really spent a lot of time in this book, my strong encouragement would be for you to find one under your seats or open the one that you have brought or your phone to Lamentations chapter 1. It's on page 581 in the Brown Bibles. Again, strongly encourage you to please follow along as we take a look at this. Now, we have been in Daniel for the past couple of months, and we didn't plan that out eight, nine months ago when we planned the teaching series, how well this would work and the timing, but here's what happens. We're in kind of the same time frame in Lamentations as we are in Daniel, because if you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, came over to Jerusalem um, and conquered Jerusalem in about 600 B.C. And they set up a puppet king named Zedekiah there. And in kind of in the meanwhile, what was happening is there was this prophet named Jeremiah, and he had been for years saying, hey, repent, turn back to God, repent, turn back to God. And he was telling Zedekiah, Zedekiah, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Zedekiah rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar anyway. And part of what happened before that was that the exportation came, the deportation came where they took Daniel and his buddies to Babylon. But, but in the midst of this stuff, he was saying, I'm going to rebel against King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, then what happened, 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came back to Jerusalem and he, did this, he just decimated the place. He burned the whole thing to the ground. This is what scholars would hold as probably the most traumatic experience of the Hebrew people in the Old Testament once they got into the Promised Land. Okay, Because he had promised them, hey, you're going to have a land, and then they had this land, they built this temple, and now it is destroyed, everything is burning, nobody's saying good morning to anybody. In fact, if you look in your scriptures... One page before what you're reading right here in Lamentations is Jeremiah, the end of Jeremiah chapter 52. Don't read it now, but go back and read it later because the chapter title is called The Fall of Jerusalem because it's describing, it's leading up to what we are about to experience here with this massive, large-scale devastation. So to spare us chapter 52, I'll just give you a couple pictures. Here's what chapter 52 talks about. This is Nebuchadnezzar's army besieging and coming upon and burning Jerusalem to the ground. And in the next chapter, the next picture we have, here are the Babylonians. They took, uh, you'll find again in Jeremiah chapter 52, you'll find this happen. They take the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and they take it piece by piece apart, and they take it back to Babylon. Lamentations records, uh, it's a poet. There are five chapters in Lamentations, five poems. And so there's a poet who wrote these five poems. We don't know exactly who it is. It may be Jeremiah. We're not exactly sure. It would maybe make sense, but we're not sure it is, so we're not going to say it is for sure. Five poems, one for each chapter. Okay, and here's what we're going to see as we walk through this chapter. We're going to see that there are, first of all, consequences of not lamenting. 
Secondly, we're going to look at the causes of lamenting. And thirdly, we're going to look at some convictions around lamenting. I don't want to share, with, I want to share those with you. So let's read Lamentations chapter 1 together. Before we do that, um, I want to pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come before you uh, and we are grateful for your word, all of your word, including what we are about to read, which is very heavy. Father, in the midst of this heavy text, I pray that you would speak to us in new ways and perhaps we would see you in a new light, in a way that would draw us near to you in increased vulnerability and increased intimacy in the midst of pain. Let's see this. Lord, show it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 1. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night. Tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her. They have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The the roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feasts. All her gateways are desolate, her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Her foes have become her masters. Her enemies are at ease. The Lord has brought her grief because of her many sins. Her children have gone into exile captive before the foe. All the splendor has departed from the daughter of Zion. Her princes are like deer that find no pasture. In weakness, they have fled before the pursuer. In the days of her affliction and wandering, Jerusalem remembers all the treasures that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into enemy hands, there was no one to help her. Her enemies looked at her and laughed at her destruction. Jerusalem has sinned greatly and so has become unclean. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns away. Her filthiness clung to her skirts. She did not consider her future. Her fall was astounding. There was none to comfort her. Look, O Lord, on my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. The enemy laid hands on all her treasures. She saw pagan nations enter her sanctuary, those you had forbidden to enter your assembly. All her people groan as they search for bread, as they barter their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. Look, O Lord, and consider, for I am despised. I am despised. This is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? This is why you don't find any Lamentations verses on coffee mugs. Okay, this series, quite frankly, is going to really hinder my my gift of laughter and uh, humor. Okay, this is heavy stuff, but this is the reality. This is the reality these people were facing and going through. I remember about 12 or 13 years ago, I was an intern here. And during the summer, I I had a chance to go to Rwanda. I spent a month in Rwanda and there's a ton of trauma in Rwanda. But but uh, I took a couple days and I went while I was in Rwanda to a place called Goma, which is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And when I was there, I spent a couple days uh, at a place called Heal Africa, which is a hospital. And it's a hospital specifically in Goma, primarily, I think, established for, to, to help do what's called fistula surgeries. And I'm not going to describe to you what fistula stir- surgeries are. You can look that up later because of the young ears that are in this room. But let me just say this. It has to do with women, and it has to do with them being victims of brutal warfare. 
And so there was room after room of women uh, lying on cots, waiting, or, or either pre- or post-surgery, just room after room after room. And the chaplain, he, he grabbed me and said, hey, this, this is great. You can come and you can speak to these women. And he would take me from room to room. He'd say, hey, speak to these women. And then he'd take me to the next room. And I was, I was like, I mean, Lord, give me words, but I did not know what to say. I couldn't possibly imagine, literally, what these women had been through. See, what we read in Lamentation chapter 1 is, is an honest, raw depiction of, of some of our experiences at times. And I think so often we want to turn our backs to these kinds of things in our lives, especially in our culture that values happiness, comfort, and safety above all other things. And so we avoid lamentations and we avoid lamenting. But as I mentioned, there are consequences to not lamenting. Dr. Chris Wright of Cambridge University notes that our neglect of lament has three negative consequences. Here's, here's, the, here's what they are. First one is this. When we neglect lament, it actually um, disrespects the voice of those who are suffering. It's like when we say, oh, the Holocaust didn't happen. It's like trying to wash away or wipe away another's pain and disregard it. My brother um, lost his bride to cancer a couple years ago and as I was trying to do the best I could to love and support him from here he's in California but uh, was there a couple times with him and we were processing through this and a couple things that we talked through is just the fact that it's difficult for us to know what to say to one another in a situation like that we all agree right what do you say can you maybe it's best we just don't say anything but the other thing that was interesting is he talked about how how at times when those things happen how we want people to move through their grieving process faster. We want that. We kind of expect them like, oh, are you, are you still grieving that? Yes. Yes. But you know what? I think we want those people to move through that because we, we care for them. We don't want them to be unhappy. We want them to be happy again. But there's a part of it that's actually about us. Because it's like, well, we want, it, you, want you to be happy because we want to be happy. Then when you're not happy, it's kind of a drag. Right? I mean, this is kind of what the reality is. So, but when we don't lament, we disrespect those who have gone through suffering. Second, Wright says that such neglect of lament deprives us as a church of the language of lament. We, right before I got up here, we listened to a song called Weep With Me. It was written by Rend Collective, and Chris Lillowin was the guy who you saw who kind of introduced the song. And Chris tells the story of where that song came from and why it came to being. There was a, a young girl who was terminally ill. And through the Make-A-Wish Foundation, she asked if she could get backstage passes to uh, a Ren Collective concert and have front row seats with her parents. And they were kind of telling the story, and as they tell the story, they're like, really, that's your wish? Like, we're not that big of a deal. Maybe you should wish for something bigger and better. But she wanted that. She knew all their songs. And so they had her and her parents backstage. We were able to spend some time with them. And then they were sitting front row while they're doing this concert. And Chris is right here, and he's playing. And he's watching this little girl who's terminally ill, and she is worshiping. She's experiencing massive joy. And if you know Rent Collective, you know their songs mostly are upbeat, right? And so as he's playing this, he's also realizing this tension as he looks at the faces of her mother and father who, are, who know something else. They know what the future holds. And there was not a song in their set that the, the parents could honestly sing that night. And so as a result, they wrote, Weep With Me. And you'll hear it every week this series. Because we need to recover this language of lament. That's one song. 
Thirdly, Dr. Wright notes that if we dismiss lament, we miss the challenge and reward of wrestling with the massive theological issues that permeate its poetry. Because there are theological issues that are in here. Like, God, where are you? Like, God, how could you allow? Or worse yet, verse 5, God, how could you have brought this grief? Or verse 9, look, O Lord, on my affliction, as if you are not looking, as if you cannot see, where are you? And some of you might say, well, Troy, is it really a positive thing to wrestle through those things? Yes, it is, because it's honest. It's honest, and it actually will lead us to a place of greater vulnerability with God and greater intimacy with Him. We need to be honest with what we're experiencing and how we express it. We need to say, look, God, do you see? This idea of being seen is huge in lament. We need to be seen. Let's pick up. It's, It's again here in verse 12. Let's finish this chapter and pull them out. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look around and see. Is any suffering like my suffering that was inflicted on me, that the Lord brought on me in the the day of his fierce anger? From on high he sent fire, sent it down into my bones. He spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He may be desolate, faint all the day long. My sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They have come upon my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has handed me over to those I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all the warriors in my midst. He has summoned an army against me to crush my young men. In his winepress, the Lord has trampled the virgin daughter of Judah. This is why I weep. And my eyes overflow with tears. No one is near to comfort me. No one to restore my spirit. My children are destitute because the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands, but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has decreed for Jacob that his neighbors become his foes. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. The Lord is righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Listen, all you peoples, look upon my suffering. My young men and maidens have gone into exile. I called to my allies, but they betrayed me. My priests and my elders perished in the city while they were searching for food to keep themselves alive. See, O Lord, how distressed I am. I am in torment within in my heart. I am disturbed, for I have been most rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves, inside there is only death. People have heard my groaning, but there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my distress. They rejoice at what you have done. May you bring the day you have announced so they may become like me. Let all their wickedness come before you. Deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my sins. My groans are many. My heart is faint. Now, I know uh, that's a lot. But I, we, need to, we need to engage with this because if we're going to recover the language of lament, we have to engage in the language of lament. Some of you might be actually glad of those words. You might, they may sound refreshing to you because you're like, I'm not alone in this. In verse 12, the city is personified as a woman. She says, is any suffering like my suffering that has been inflicted upon me? Is any suffering like this suffering? In fact, you can't see it in the English. But uh, chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 are all called acrostic poems. That means that every verse starts with another letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It goes basically A, B, C, D. It goes Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet. It goes all the way through. As if to say, this is the A to Z of my suffering. Has anyone ever had any suffering like the suffering that's been inflicted upon me? Now the answer would be yes. Yes. 
We're not alone in suffering. Now, the suffering may look a little different to us today than it did in Jerusalem when the whole place is burning. It may look different for us today than it does in Syria where there's massive atrocities happening at a larger scale. There's a communal lament. lament. Here, it's probably a little bit more individualistic, if we're really honest. Some of you here have lost someone that you love. Some of you may have a child who is is literally destroying their own lives before your very eyes and you can't stop them. Some of you have diagnoses that are not good or not treatable. Some of you wake up hating your job every single day. Some of you are haunted by things that have happened to you in the past, abuse, And you've been wounded. Some of you have been haunted by the hatred of those who have caused you to suffer. And you, you suffer in the midst of that hatred every day for them. Some of you suffer from guilt for that which you have done. I could go on and on. But here's the thing. You are not alone in your lament. Now sometimes I think... Because we don't have a language for this, we don't know how to respond. And so especially even sometimes inside the church, we do a horrible job of responding to lament. Like we go for the pat answers as quickly as possible. We say, oh, well, God, they're there. God will comfort you. I've been guilty of that. Okay, like, hey, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God's a God of comfort. Okay, it's true. But just because it's true, it doesn't mean we can short circuit the process of lament. We don't have to go to the pat answers. So sometimes we go to those paid answers, they're there, it'll be okay. Sometimes we go to this weird paid answer, I've heard it a couple of times before, of judgment. This is, this is what we do sometimes. I, I remember uh, after Hurricane Katrina went through, I was having dinner with some folks, and someone said, uh, well, that happened down there because of all the sinful stuff that was going on there. They deserve what, what happened there. And I was like, that... That takes a level of insight into God's will that I do not claim to have any, any, time, any way this side of, of eternity. It's also dangerously self-righteous. Now, what makes chapter 1 easy, if there's anything easy about it, which there isn't, but it's that the poet here acknowledges that everything that's happening is because of, it's because of their sins in this case. In this case, we don't have to say, oh, this happened because that's what, no one's denying that. There's no one making excuses or saying, this is why this happened. This shouldn't be a surprise. Let's look at this next slide. The Lord has brought the city grief because of her many sins. Jerusalem, verse 8, has sinned greatly. Verse 14, my sins have been bound into a yoke. Verse 18, uh, the Lord's righteous, yet I rebelled against his command. Verse 20, I am disturbed for I have been most rebellious. And 22, as you've dealt with me because of all of my sins. Okay. So we can say that what happened to Jerusalem in 587 B.C. is because of sinfulness. And the author even owns that. This should not have been a surprise to anybody in Jerusalem. This stuff had been predicted and and prophesied against for years. And people were not changing their ways. And yet there's still this tension in the midst of it. Okay, okay, but still, God, why? How could you allow this or your sake cause this to happen? And so we've talked about the consequences of not lamenting. I want to talk briefly about the causes of lament. I believe there are three. 
The first cause of our lament is our own sin. Okay? This is the focus of chapter 1 in Lamentations. It's that, hey, we've sinned. This is why the lament is going on. It's because of our own sins. And this is the one that we want to talk the least about. You know why? Because we are not the victims in this. We're the perpetrators. So we're like, let's, let's talk about a different one. But part of the reason of lament, part of the reason there's pain in this world is because of you and me and the sins that we have committed against others. It's just a reality. We are a part of the problem. Second cause for lament is not our sins, but it's the sins of others. Our sister shared this morning what happened to her daughter was not her daughter's fault. Okay, It was the sins of somebody else committing them against her. And when that happens, it causes pain for us. Some of you are lamenting to this day things that have been done to you decades ago. There's a wake of sin. There is a ripple effect that continues on. Third cause of lament. It is not our sins or the sins of others. It is the original sin. Okay? It's the first sin. It is be, it's why this, the, the, all of creation still groans. It's why there's, there's earthquakes and things that take people that aren't anyone's necessarily their faults because this world is broken. It's what the scriptures call the curse of that first sin, that things are not as they are supposed to be. It's why even if you get through radiation and chemotherapy and, and you're blessed in that way, or even if you make it through and pass the accident, at some point you will face the mortality of the brokenness of the fall of this world. So these are the three causes, I believe, of lament. Our own sins, other sins, and the original sin. So we talked about the consequences of not lamenting. We talked about the cause of sin. I want to close with some convictions of lamenting. Some of you are here this morning. You might be like, Troy, um, I think I'll just come back on Easter. You know, this is, Troy, I'm kind of living the dream right now. I'm not lamenting anything, so this is kind of a drag. So I think we have to have some convictions around this. John Stark wrote an article called Why We Lament When We Are Not Lamenting, and he has three convictions around this. The first one is this. We lament when we uh, we sing songs or we lament, even when we're not lamenting. Why? In order to weep with those who are weeping. Referenced in Romans 12, Uh, Mourn with those who mourn as well as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. We lament, we are not lamenting so that we can empathize. Okay? Second, we lament even when we're not lamenting so that when seasons of mourning come, we know how to do it. We know what songs to sing. We know what prayers to pray. In other words, it's, it's like any language. We have to practice it. We have to engage with it. Or when the time comes, we will not be equipped. Thirdly, we sing songs of lament even when we're not lamenting because maybe we should be lamenting more than we are. James is writing this, this the early church, and he said, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Their sins, he claimed, was making them enemies with God. And yet they were laughing and joyful. And these were Christians. So perhaps we need to lament more than we are. So those are, those are three convictions that John Stark has. Now there's a fourth conviction that came out of my own study of this text, and it's this one. We lament even when we're not lamenting because the good news is not good news unless we understand the bad news. 
The good news is not good news unless we truly understand the bad news. See, one of the most telling lines in this chapter is verse 9 where it says this, She did not consider her future. In other words, the people were not thinking about their future. They had turned their backs on God. They had rebelled against God. And they had been doing so for centuries. And as a result, you know what they were experiencing? They were experiencing hell on earth. Literally. They were experiencing this hell on earth in a burning city, Jerusalem. But perhaps if they had considered their future, they would have considered their eternal future. And they would realize that there is a hell that is far worse, where our sins separate us from God, not only here, but forever. And God cannot, see, He will not and He cannot have sin be a part of His kingdom. It doesn't work that way. Sin cannot exist eternally in heaven. This is not heaven. You think about this, the city of Jerusalem was actually meant to be a glimpse of the kingdom of God. It was meant to be a beautiful city where people were experiencing the holiness and the presence of God. And that was supposed to be a glimpse of what people were experiencing in Jerusalem. But instead of experiencing heaven on earth, they were experiencing hell on earth. They were not considering their future. I think when it comes to our own sins, we are guilty of the same thing. Not considering the the implications of that on our future. But they were also not considering their future in another sense. They were also not considering their, their futures in that in spite of all that, God had made a promise that a Messiah would come, that one would come, and that sin and suffering would not have the last word because that Messiah would suffer. That if they considered their future and turned back to God, redemption was coming. And yeah, that redemption wasn't maybe going to take away all the pain and suffering here on earth, but it would be a redemption that would say there's not going to be a tear wasted. There's not going to be a pain that goes uncounted. But it will be leveraged for God in His kingdom. See, the good news is not good news unless we really understand the bad news. Now, I've been wrestling this whole week with this series on lament and saying, how, what do we do? Do we leave this here like this? Like this is, goes against everything I was taught. It's everything I, it goes against everything I want to do. Like I want to bring our sister back up here and have her tell some more of this story because there's more of the story. But we're not going to do that yet. We're going to let that sit for a few weeks. Why? Because what we want to do is we want to have this wrapped up in a nice little package and put aside and say, okay, they're good. We've concluded that. But that is not reality. That's not the reality of your life. That's not the reality of your suffering. They would just tie in a little bow and set it over here. And so we are going to sit in a posture of lament for a few weeks. And then we're going to celebrate the resurrection. And perhaps we're going to celebrate it like we've never celebrated it before. Because the good news is not good news until we really understand the bad news and engage with it. So I'm going to pray now. And then we're going to stand and we're going to weep, singing the song. Sorry, we're going to sing the song, Weep With Me. You heard it before. You're going to sing it. The band's going to lead us in that song. And then after that, I'm going to come back up and lead us in a time of reflection and communion. So let's pray. Father, this is hard. You know, Lord, I've wrestled with you all week on this. This is hard for me to leave this here. And yet, 
I believe that you can do something in the midst of this. That specifically, you do something in the midst of this. As we engage with lament and understand. Father, would you speak to us in a new way? Would we experience a vulnerability and intimacy with you that that we maybe never had before because we've neglected this huge part of the reality of life? Help us, Lord. Help us to know that you do weep with us. In Jesus' name, amen.